Good afternoon. Got to say that now. For the last few months, it's been good evening, but man, oh man, sun is still out. It's warm. Saw people out on motorcycles today. Let's see what the temperature looks like real quickly. Yep, still almost 60 degrees here in Aurora. Little bit warmer over there in hell, otherwise known as my birth city, Denver, Colorado. And what a nice stretch it is. And the days are getting longer. Um, John Corbless behind the glass. Let's keep him busy. Phone numbers here are 303-696. No, wait a minute. That's the wrong number. No, it isn't. 303-696-1971. Duh. I didn't write it down this time. I always write it down so I can just look. Didn't want to be giving out, uh, you know, one of my personal top secret numbers. 303-696-1971. Soon. Daylight savings time will be back, and it'll be like mid-afternoon when we settle in and kick off this show. So good to have you along. A lot to do today. I want to spend a little time, probably in this first segment, just to sort of get it out of the way, to talk a little bit to all of you people who've been married a long, long time, or, you know, if you're like me, a recent widower, or um, have just been, over the years, building up piles and piles and piles of things, of paperwork, of knickknacks, of, you know, free gifts because you got a bunch of points and you never used them, but they just pile up or whatever. I want to talk a little bit about how you need to look at that stuff um, and not leave it for your children. It's just... Man, it's overwhelming. If you're new to this show, lost my wife on June 3rd, one day before her 58th birthday last year, after 27 years together. And I've been, you know, swinging and kicking and slugging and punching and fighting my way up and out of that. Many, many miracles have dropped into my life and uh, blessings that I can give no Higher praise for to God because I was in such a dark, dark place. And part of unwinding from all of that is what do you do with all the stuff? So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Obviously, Donald Trump projected to win the South Carolina primary, but it looks to me like it was just called. In fact, Donald Trump is talking right now. John, uh, it looks like he's responding to the announcement. Can we tap into him? Standing behind me, these are the these are the biggest officials in South Carolina, but I say like the biggest officials in our country as far as I'm concerned. They're really they're state figures, but they're national figures and in the truest sense of the word, they love our country so much and they want to see our country succeed and be respected again. Right now we're a laughing stock all over the world. Our country is going to be respected again, respected like never before. So this is a fantastic evening. It's an early evening and a fantastic. So you can all go down and you can celebrate for about 15 minutes and we have to get back to work because the big date, the big date, you know, Michigan's coming up. We're doing great. The auto workers are going to be with us 100 percent because they got sold out by this country. But Michigan's up, and uh, we're going to have a tremendous success there. And then we have a thing called Super Tuesday, and uh, I think we're leading 91 to 7 (laughs) overall. All right, let's go ahead and pull out of that. 
What is Nikki Haley doing? Why is she sticking around? The initial results show Trump 63.5% to Haley 35.5%. Looks to me like those are extremely early numbers. Not exactly sure what they're showing, but uh, but the percentages have been what's been predicted, what the polling has showed, what everybody has believed. And yet Nikki Haley just fights her way through saying, I am not going away. I am sticking around. For what reason? She's generating Democrat donations to try and keep Trump from sealing this deal and moving on to a general election posture. She's absolutely trashing her political future unless she becomes a Democrat or somehow, some way, not going to happen, the Republican establishment class, the George W. Bush Republican class, somehow gets back into power. That's, that's where she fits in with Karl Rove, George W. Bush. Oh, sorry, something interesting was going on on the screen there. But anyway, so we'll talk about that. If you have any idea what Nikki Haley is doing, why she is hanging around this long, uh, because she said she's going to keep on going. She's getting slaughtered in her own state. The senator that she appointed and then won re-election, Tim Scott, endorsed Donald Trump. The other major presidential primary player, Ron DeSantis, as soon as he realized he had no path, and I respect him for this. He he didn't play around. He didn't say, let me just milk as much fame and as much money out of Democrat donors as possible and and play this out any further. He said, there's no path for me. So I'm getting out and I am endorsing the obvious eventual Republican nominee. And then he went back to work in Florida. Now, is that enough to save him? I mean, what, four years is a long time. Could he come back around as a pro- presidential possibility if Donald Trump either doesn't win or finishes the second term that he was cheated out of in 2020? I, I, I don't know. Way too early. You know, uh, if I were advocating for DeSantis, and I'm not, but if I were... I'd say, look, the man decided to run for president. He gave it a go. Obviously, he had to take on the the big dog. He had to get into that brawl. And when he realized there was no path to victory, he said, okay, I'm back on the team. Let's go. Nikki Haley's not doing that. She says she's going to drive this bus, and and I imagine she'll at least go through Super Tuesday. Going to get slaughtered in Michigan. I'm fairly confident of that. But this defeat in her own home state absolute humiliation. And here's the other thing. I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday, I think, and and Nikki Haley came out, somebody I really respect, extremely educated, though that's not a defining thing for me. Some of the smartest people I know were smart enough to not go to, you know, Ivy League schools or spend all that money or accumulate all that debt or whatever, but still highly educated, extremely interested a conservative in her values. And she said, I, I don't get Nikki Haley. I, there's no, there's no there, there, like there's no gravitas. There's no charisma. She has dulled herself to the point of, I don't know, just certainly irrelevance in this presidential primary, except for the fact that Democrats support her and they praise her. 
James Carville said every day that Nikki Haley stays in this race is a good day for Democrats. And she's absolutely tone deaf to it. I've been saying for weeks, if not months, that Donald Trump was going to be the nominee. And everybody said, well, let's play out the process. Let's see how it goes. It doesn't. Nothing's real until the voters speak. And the voters are speaking. And every time they have a chance to speak, they don't want Nikki Haley. More importantly, they just want Donald Trump. And I know we've got plenty of people out there. Oh, it's the cult of Trump. It's the personality of Trump. Trump could, you know, drive his car through a parade and people would still justify his behavior and and support him. And absolute nonsense. I was in high opposition to Donald Trump when he first ran a Ted Cruz delegate back in 2016 because everyone in Colorado was a Ted Cruz delegate. We were elected to support Ted Cruz. I didn't trust the man. I didn't like the man. I, I believed so much of the corrupt, coordinated, Democrat-controlled media machine narrative about Donald Trump. And then I had a very interesting chance meeting with a family member, a liberal family member, a resident of New York, a, telev- a New York longtime television producer international author, someone who votes for Democrats. She's not a nut. She's not a radical leftist like uh, so many, the, and especially those who are in charge of the Democrat Party right now. But from a social perspective, from the, where she grew up, uh, all of those things, she had been voting Democrat. And she was covering the presidential convention in 2016, we had texted about it, and then, and then things got crazy. We never connected. Um, and this is someone I dearly love and respect and also like. Just enjoy, you know, talking. And at the airport, my plane got delayed. I seemed, if I recall, it was like 10 hours, 10-hour delay trying to get out of Cleveland. Anyway, it was lengthy. So when I found out about that, no other way to get out of town. I went looking for a place to eat, and I'm wandering through the airport and just by chance wandered into a restaurant. And I looked off, you know, I'm just looking around, looking for a seat. Is this where I want to spend, you know, set up my laptop and go to work for a few hours and try and kill some time? Or does the food look good? And I spotted someone in the far corner that looked familiar to me. I was like, oh, well, it looks like my cousin's wife. How, how, you know, hi. Uh, But I, I didn't realize it was her. Fortunately, she saw me. And she came over and grabbed me. And her plane was also delayed. So we had, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours to that we actually got to talk. And it was very informative for me because I came out of that 2016 Republican National Presidential Convention. And my sole goal in the world was to make sure that no Republican National Convention was ever run like that one was run again. Because Reince Priebus and the Trump team and everybody, they had it all set up. We're there. They put us in the far back, right by CNN. We, we always get flack by people who misrepresent uh, when the Colorado delegation got up and left the floor as though we were walking out on Trump. Trump wasn't even – I don't even think the nomination had occurred yet. I'm sure that it hadn't. We were fighting for roll call votes and to be heard and, and all the things that you're supposed to do. If working as a delegate at a national convention is supposed to mean anything, 
And the reason everybody but me, and I'll explain that in a second, everybody but me got up and walked out was because the, the TV cameras were watching everything that we were doing. And people wanted to have a strategy session, you know, a regroup. What do, what do we do next? And the only way they could do it was to leave the convention floor and go powwow. And they were off the floor for a few minutes. The reason I didn't leave is because my job, and I guess, you know, I'd earned this because uh, as a radio guy, I know how to, you know, at least hang on to a microphone, was to protect the microphone. On the floor, if you let your micro, there were microphones scattered around for every, you know, so that each delegation could be heard if they wanted to and all that. If you let go of your microphone, there were Trump people who took it over, who got in line. You couldn't get back to your microphone. So my job throughout this convention was to protect the microphone. So anyway, I left. And it's funny, too. I mean, you can go on YouTube and see a YouTube uh, video, probably an hour, 20 minutes, hour and a half, where uh, uh, mm, I was going to say seven, seven or eight. I don't remember exactly how many of we delegates. I remember activist Regina Thompson was there, my good friend and now chair of Colorado for Trump, Justin Everett, state representative at the time, and others came and wanted to tell the story of how nasty, how just you you didn't need to be there. Your use as a delegate was zip because of the way they were they were not following the rules and. And, you know, that's not the Trump team. That's that's Priebus and the Republicans who are running that thing. So, uh, you know, if you go back and see that, you'll see us tell the stories of that convention. It might be a yawner for most people, but, you know, us, us hard activists are trying to figure out ways to not let things like that happen. And I made the commitment, as I recall, during that recording, I haven't gone back and seen it ever, but just remembering what I said, that... My goal was going to make sure no Republican convention ever ran like that again, never dreaming that four years later someone would ask me and then persuade me to run to be the Republican National Committee man, someone who actually votes on the rules and how those conventions are run and all that. So maybe psychologically I was planting the seed. I don't know. But that's the way things played out. And I'm now, you know, someone who is able to help direct how those conventions will run as a member of the 168 Republican National Committee people. Anyway, before we take our break, let me wrap up the story because my uh, I sat down and I asked uh, I asked my family member who she was going to vote for. And she said, well. I can't vote for Donald Trump because I just don't agree with his policies. I don't agree with, you know, some of the things he claims that he's going to do. But I can't vote for Hillary Clinton because she's a criminal. And so we disposed of really any conversation about Hillary Clinton or any merits for her candidacy or whatever, because this Democrat, uh, committed Democrat, not not an activist, leftist, progressive Democrat, but a Democrat nonetheless, had already decided she couldn't vote for Hillary because she was such a crook. So, But then she said something very interesting. She said, but, and she had said, I said this a second ago, that she would not vote for Trump because she didn't believe in those policies, but she doesn't like the way the media is portraying him. And I said, what do you mean? And I, I said, 
they're absolutely she said they're lying about him they're mischaracterizing him they're they're portraying him as somebody he's not well how do you know that i've covered him i've flown on his planes i've flown to russia with him i've been at his weddings i've been in trump tower i've talked to him he hires women qualified women he puts them in positions of power he's the kind of person that if once he meets you if he sees you six months later, he'll ask you how you're doing and how are your two kids, one dog and three cats. You know, I mean, that's the way he interacts with people. He is not as the media is portraying him. And that really helped me, really helped me start sort of flipping my switch away from how angry I was about that, you know, uselessly being a delegate at the Republican National Convention and how, as a radio host, uh, how uh, was I going to come back and, you know, now try and turn my attentions to supporting this guy that the media had convinced me was, um, you know, a mafia boss and a, a womanizer and abuser. Now, womanizer, okay, I get it. Uh, playboy, jet setter, billionaire. Yeah, I, I get it. Uh, the left, you know, I give you Bill Clinton. I give you Epstein and others. But they were also portraying him as someone who, you know, had no respect for women. And, and I learned that that was absolutely untrue. And I learned a whole lot about his personality. And, of course, later when I got to meet him and talk to him and spend some time with him, uh, not a huge amount, but enough to have, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation, um, I learned what she meant about how he is with people outside of the camera, outside of the attacks of the left wing and the press. And many of you know, if you're regular, excuse me, I'm not getting choked up. Many of you know, if you're regular listeners, that uh, uh, in July I received, my wife died on, on June 3rd, and in July we didn't get to have her services until the end of that month because... We had a grandbaby coming and a potentially difficult pregnancy and all kinds of stuff. But very shortly after the services, I got a beautiful letter um, from Donald and Melania Trump um, signed by him. Very personal um, and very – it just reinforced what instinctively I had begun to believe about this man. But set it all aside. We And I know we got to take a break here. But And Mike Boyle, during the crossover – said that he he loved all of Trump's policies, he loves Donald Trump, he's just rough, he wishes that he would, you know, settle down a little bit or temper it down a little bit. I forget exactly what he said. And I remember hearing that sentiment throughout the 2016 election, the 2020 stolen election, in my humble opinion. And People still continue with that point, and I, I just, and we didn't have time, Mike and I didn't have time to go into it, but I will just remind folks who feel that way that, no, no, we don't want Mitt Romney's when they're being attacked by the moderator of their Democrat debate, you know, Candy Crowley on CNN. Uh, we don't want soft and squishy Republicans. We want somebody who is standing up, punching people in the mouth getting in the face of the corrupt, coordinated, Democrat-controlled media machine, unafraid to use the power of the presidency or the economic power of the United States to bring our allies into line, to pay their fair share into NATO, to step up and, and hold up their promises and their obligations 
and quit being the, the whipping boy for the, the radicals and the progressives who are in control of the U.N. and so many of these other agencies took on the military, took on the deep state. I admire that. And, uh, you know, the, the tweets and the sometimes he'd say things and people say that's insane. And then it turns out he was right. So anyway, what? All right. All right. I got it. I'm getting yeah, he's the grass the glass is shaking back. Listen, let me just make this clear here. You don't mess with John Corbless behind the glass. Anyway, we will take our break. We'll get into some of the things I wanted to tell you about in the first talk about in the first place. Um some great audio that we've put together. I'm also the featured speaker this Friday at a GOP event. I'll tell you about that when we return. So right now, stay with us. Don't forget our phone number, 303-696-1971. I'm Randy Corcoran. It's 710-KNUS. Downtown, 1964, Petula Clark. And I was five years old when that song came out. I remember it so well. And I remember how exciting it was for me as a boy when I'd hear that song to think about going into downtown Denver. When I was a little kid, you could ride your bike. We lived in Wash Park, right, right in the Wash Park area. And we would literally ride our bicycles, me and my neighborhood buddies. My neighborhood buddies and I would ride our bicycles downtown to the Security Life Building, 38 stories, 32 or 38, I think it was 38, and we'd get on the outside glass elevator and ride that sucker up to the top where there was a uh, a viewing area and they had those tele- telescopes you could put a nickel or a dime into and you could look out all the way to to Stapleton Airport and you could see the landing gear come down on the jets as they were coming in on that east-west runway. So it was exciting. We'd go to Elitch's when it was over on 38th and Tennyson and... I didn't realize that wasn't downtown, but it was like going to Denver. It was going. It was just special to do things. And then when I lived in the Chicago area for about six years as a teenager, right up until the time I quit high school at 15 and a half, stuck around for another year or so, and I'd hear that song because I always loved to listen to what were then oldies by the, you know, 76, 1976, 1977. And I would get out excited about going down to Chicago because we used to play hooky from junior high school and get on the, the train, the the uh, commuter train, and ride down into the city to go to a White Sox game or a Cubs game. And so it would, it would make me excited. And now you, you can't pay me to go into these urban areas, these metropolises, these cities. They're filthy. They're disgusting. They're dangerous. They're overrun with crime. They're overrun with homeless people. And so when I was picking out music for tonight's show, I just uh, I, you're, you're going to see if you stick around that we did a, a look back for most of it. Uh, some of the you know, I was an oldies DJ. That was the my second job as a radio host was first doing adult contemporary midnight to six. And then I picked up an old Sunday morning oldies show and then did nothing for years, turned down an offer to go work at a station in Hawaii. Long story there. Um, and left that radio station, that company, that organization. Loved the owner. They loved me. But it was just not the right move. And, uh, yeah, so when I hear songs like that, it does make me reminiscent of the good old days. You cannot pay me enough money to go to downtown Denver, 
now, and I'm guessing that you probably feel the same. Now, before we pick up on some of the things I wanted to talk with you about, last week there was just the greatest clip from Marjorie Taylor Greene, and we had a whole lot of audio that we never got to. We'll probably get through a lot of that with you tonight. But um, but this was just classic. And so if you weren't with us when we closed out the show yesterday, uh, yesterday, last Saturday, you um, you've got to hear Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene on fire. Britain's Foreign Secretary David Cameron says that you should vote through funding for Ukraine. What do you say to that? I think he tried to compare us to Hitler also. And if that's the kind of language he wants to use, I really have nothing to say to him. Well, he likened you to an appeaser to Hitler in not voting through funding for Ukraine. Are you an appeaser for Putin? I I think that um, I really don't care what David Cameron has to say. I think that's rude name-calling, and I don't appreciate that type of language. And David Cameron needs to worry about his own country, and frankly, he can kiss my ass. But do you think Putin's the good guy in all this? I just loved it. She she turned her back and walked away at that point. Absolute gotcha question, probably from a BBC reporter. I didn't I don't recall seeing any letters on the microphone or anything like that asking her about the British Foreign Minister David Cameron. But that's how you need to treat press who comes at you like that. He wasn't looking for information. He wasn't looking for her perspective. He's are you a an enabler for Putin? He was comparing you to to Hitler, you know. Uh, Come on. So sick of it. So sick of it. And so I love politicians who point out just how corrupt this coordinated Democrat-controlled media machine really is and doesn't take any more of it. We need to see more of that from our politicians. Not, Not more civility. Sorry. Those days are over. The Democrats did that. Not the Republicans. The Democrats did that with their uh, their sneaky trick questions, with their setups, with their misrepresentations, with their selective editing, with their, you know, Chris Wallace as debate moderators uh, two days after Trump is out of the hospital with covid stepping in every time Donald Trump started to tell the truth or get on a roll or point out what a. What a liar Joe Biden was. What a corrupt and immoral person his son was that the computer, the Biden laptop was was real and people needed to know about it. Chris Wallace to the rescue. People are disgusting. And I think Republicans ought to be willing and ready and able to go into any of those venues, not to be led down the primrose path by the nasal hairs, to, to get out the narrative that the left-wing reporter is trying to do. But if they're, if they're not a fair player, punching back, getting those sound clips. Uh, they should also insist on getting a recording of the full interview and not just the snippets that people try to utilize and play. So let's see an update on the South Carolina Republican primary. Looked like Trump was at about 59%, but... A, Looks like still very small percentages of numbers reporting. So I don't know whether it will tighten up or whether it's going to be uh, just a massive blowout, as was predicted. But what's so bad for Nikki Haley is 
Yeah, there's no percentages up there. Okay. What's so bad for Nikki Haley? 59-41 is the current count, but it doesn't say what percentage of votes are in yet. What's so bad is this is her home state. Her own appointed and then reelected Senator Tim Scott came out for Donald Trump. What motivation could Nikki Haley have for going forward? We got some text messages that came in. Don't forget that 710 KNUS app. Uh, and here's a good one. I don't know if this if the texter is Brandy or what this first means at the front. It says, Brandy, good. I, I don't know if that's a name or not. Nikki Haley, be thinking that Trump will end up with a felony. People won't vote for him, and then she'll step right in. Don't know if that's far-fetched or not. And really, I, I think that's possible. But if Nikki Haley was going to be a viable replacement because somehow Donald Trump was rendered ineligible, and from a legal perspective, from a political perspective, from a reality perspective, I don't see that happening between now and Election Day. I just don't see that happening. But if it were to happen, Nikki Haley is the last person that I would support she there's not a chance I would support her after watching her perform, after looking into her record, what she actually did as governor of South Carolina. And really just the appeasement that seems to be going on to the leftists who are primarily supporting her campaign now and the, and the billionaire never Trumpers, not interested at all. If Donald Trump were to be kept out of this race, and of course the Democrats are throwing anything and everything they've got at him to try and make that happen, is there someone that you would want to see step in? Is there somebody that could actually replace Donald Trump as president of the United States, given where we're at, given the absolute venom with which Democrats come after every Republican, use every tool in the toolbox, and some that... Republicans, sadly, haven't even thought of yet to stop the advancement of conservative policies or uh, whatever the Republican goal might be in a particular situation. It, it looks like Chuck the Schmuck Schumer isn't going to, is going to somehow procedurally try and stop the impeachment vote against Mayorkas, who has lied a thousand times to your face. Not only about the fact that our border is sealed, our border is safe and secure, our border is under control. He failed to enforce the law. He was, should have been impeached a long time ago. But he also lies to you about creepy, sleepy Joe Biden. We played those clips last week of Mayorkas saying, yeah, Donald, or Donald, uh, Joe Biden is sharp, he's crisp, he asks great questions, he's on top of it, he's, you know, he's as responsive and together as anybody I've ever seen. It's just disgusting how these Democrats will lie to your face. But that's who they are. And so we need people who understand now how the game is played, the rules that the Democrats have been victorious with, and... Be willing to, to fight back. Have to be. Absolutely have to be. I, I don't see how Nikki slides in there just because she is 
the last man slash woman standing. Her polling is so, I mean, it's, you know, obviously better than Kamala Harris, and she became vice president. My God, is there anything more terrifying than Kamala Harris? If Joe Biden is taken out, and I understand, uh, I know Jack Posobiec was reporting on this, that uh, insiders are saying that even cabinet members are talking about ways to remove Joe Biden, perhaps the 25th Amendment. If you won't voluntarily step down, can you imagine if the keys to the castle are turned over to Kamala, if Kamala Harris is the first woman president elected in the United States of America, what will that say about the sad state of affairs here in the United States of America? Really, really bad. All right, I see we're at another break. Let me just tell you real quick, I will be speaking Friday morning at, uh, what's that restaurant again? Morning Story Restaurant. It's the Denver GOP first Friday breakfast. And uh, I was invited, I accepted. And there's a, a rumor going around about me as the Republican National Committee man that I want to dispel. So we'll talk a little bit more about the speaking engagement. We'll dispel the rumor and then we will move it ahead when we continue here on 710 KNUS. Bob Lind, Elusive Butterfly from 1965. Welcome back. Wake up with Randy Corcoran, 710 KNUS. Phone number 303-696-1971. 696-1971. degrees now here in Aurora. 56 over there in hell, otherwise known as Denver. And uh, very troubling announcement or... Um, I don't know, a news flash from Colorado State Representative Scott Bottoms that will play when we kick off the second hour, something that I think uh, you'll you probably understand that this is going on in our country, in our world. You'll be very sad and sorry to hear that it's going on here in our beloved and once beautiful and wonderful to live in state of Colorado. Quick text message from Alexa, and then I'll finish telling you about my speaking engagement and this rumor that's going around regarding me and the RNC. But first, this uh, great text from Alexa, who's always our first texter, and uh, thank you for that, Alexa. Randy, the reports on cell phone data basically proving Big Fanny Willis, I added that, Fanny Willis, Big Fanny, and Nathan Wade, the so-called prosecutor who she hired were involved 12,000 voice and text interactions heavy concentrations 7 days a week after hours and multiple times Nathan was at Big Fanny's after 10 p.m. and leaving after 3 a.m. made my weekend remember how Fanny's Big Fanny said the lawyer lied and she and Nathan were not involved until 2022 saying that that the divorce lawyer, somebody who testified, said that they've been involved for a while. Huge lie. So, yeah, what will the judge do? We should have the ruling on whether Big Fanny and uh, and her apparent lover boy, Nathan Wade, there uh, get to continue on the prosecution team against Donald J. Trump. This woman was so disgusting. Remember her campaign? We played this last week. We played audio last week of her 
talking to a news reporter within the, the a few days of last Saturday about how Donald Trump is out saying that I campaigned on getting Donald Trump, and it's such a lie. And this audio clip had her making that recent statement and then went back and played multiple scenes from her campaign where she, it was all about getting Trump. She also said that people wanted to elect an attorney general who wouldn't sleep with their staff, who wouldn't be sleeping around. The hypocrisy of these people knows no bounds. We should not be treating them with deference. We should not be treating them with respect. We should be treating them with disdain and calling out their hypocrisy and their disgusting behavior every chance we get. And listen, I'm no perfect person, and I, and I don't expect perfection from anybody. But this behavior is so egregious. The efforts to keep Donald Trump from participating fairly in this election, the lawfare, is disgusting. And, and we can no longer play by the rules of the old guard Republican establishment. We just can't. We got to fight the fights, throw down the battles, take the losses, and keep reminding people why their lives keep getting worse and worse until they wake up and flip it back around. <sighs> All right. It's, uh, it's 5.53, and let me tell you real quick. Somebody called in and said the, there are multiple morning story breakfasts. So this one is at Holly and Leedsdale. Morning Story Restaurant, 560 South Holly Street. Worst picture of me that I've ever seen. My hair, I don't even see how it could have fit under a doorway. Damn near an afro. It's really, I mean, God bless people who want to wear afros, but it does not look good on me. Anyway, I'll be speaking this next Friday as the featured speaker, 8 to 9.30. So I hope you can join us. I uh, haven't done a first Friday breakfast in a long time. Really haven't done much of anything. And, uh, and I think most of you know why. And so... That leads me to this rumor regarding me and the Republican National Committee. And this started weeks ago based on a Facebook post from an unsettled activist. I won't name her here, but uh, and it said that I was going to stay quiet about whether I was going to run again for Republican National Committee to be the National Committee man for Colorado. And that I was going to do that until our assembly, which is on, what is it, April 4th? I better look that up, but in April. And then I was going to go on stage, announce that I'm not running, and endorse somebody else. And so when I heard about that rumor, and I even heard about it from uh, the Republican National Committee woman when we were at our winter training a couple of weeks ago now. She she asked me straight up, and I was so glad she did because I'd already – to anybody who actually saw the Facebook post and wondered if it was true, I'd already told them, absolutely not. I guess the reason there's speculation is because I haven't announced my decision about whether I'm going to run again. And, you know, the reason for that is obvious. I mean, one of the best pieces of advice that I got when my wife died last June is – don't make any major decisions for a year. Just just don't. And, you know, obviously there's decisions you have to make, and this is one of them. It's, I'm not going to wait a year for it. 
but I just haven't wanted to push the decision. It's a four-year term. I'm 64 years old. It's certainly do another four years, but you know, all of a sudden you start getting into this stage of life. Four years is a pretty long stretch, and it's only not until recently that my heart has really started to allow me to get back into the game, to fully engage with you, to fully engage with this show. I'm starting to do a little bit more on social media, and I accepted the speaking invitation for next Friday, and I'll probably be doing more of those as well. But I have not made an announcement because I've just been wrestling with, you know, what do I want to do and and sort of putting that off as long as I can. But I do realize that somebody, you know, if, if I were decided not to run, that people need an opportunity to make their case. Um, there are certain factions of the Republican Party that would love if I didn't run and to try and replace me with, you know, one of their own. And I, I hate to talk like that, but we all know it's true. And that is certainly an, an influential consideration for me is, is not letting more old guard more old guard Republican establishment folks get back into positions of power because slowly and surely the RNC is flipping. It's becoming an America first RNC, more and more new members, people. You know, people who, for instance, voted for Ronna McDaniel last year during the uh, the leadership race are likely in trouble because there's not one person I heard from when that vote was going on, not one constituent who said, hey, man, I really want you to support a fourth term for Ronna McDaniel. They, they just weren't saying it. And I can defend much that Ronna McDaniel did. She's been very kind to me personally, and when I lost my wife, you know, was especially kind. Everyone on the RNC was. But that wasn't the point. It was. It's not a personality contest. It's not who you love or who you've known so much, you know, for so long. It's what do the people that you represent want? And so all around the country, the belief is that people who voted for Ronna McDaniel for leadership are in real trouble if they're running again for RNC. And uh, so anyway, I am not planning to not make any announcement and then show up on the day of the vote at the assembly and, and step down and endorse somebody else. It's nonsense. I've said it to anyone who's asked. It's absolutely true. And I will make my decision this next week. I, I know it just has to be done. And uh and I appreciate the folks that have said, yeah, please do run. All right, we're at the top of the hour. We're going to play that clip from Scott Bottoms when we come back, get into some of your calls, and so much more. Stay with us here. <laughs> 